0: It is practically impossible to separate this show from my soft and admittedly weary monologue. It makes sense. Over the past few years, I've calmly read you my script for over 70 episodes. It's rather rare of an occurrence that I'll even interview someone. Almost every episode, dozens of hours of audio has just been… me. In doing this show, I've done quite a lot of research, and as a result, have been able to speak with authority on a relatively wide range of topics. But this week is a little different. Obviously, the topic of this week's show is the uprising currently happening across the country, the largest civil rights protest in history, based entirely around what it means to be black in America. I am a white man who has led a relatively sheltered life, and so I feel it would be grossly inappropriate for me to talk about the anatomy of this movement From any place of authority. This introduction is the last time that I will speak during this episode. This week's show is comprised of 12 clips. In order, their speakers are Tamika Mallory, two by Angela Davis, three by Malcolm X, three by James Baldwin, Huey Newton, Bobby Seale and Roxy Washington, the mother of Gianna Floyd, George Floyd's daughter. This is Hidden History, and you're listening to Episode 75, Other People's Voices.
1: This is a coordinated activity happening across this nation. And so we are in a state of emergency. Black people are dying in a state of emergency. We cannot look at this as an isolated incident. The reason why buildings are burning are not just for our brother George Floyd. They're burning down because people here Because Target should be on the streets with us calling for the justice that our people deserve. Where was AutoZone at the time when Fernando Castile was shot in a car, which is what they actually represent? Where were they? So if you are not coming to the people's defense, right. then don't challenge us. When young people and other people who are frustrated and instigated by the people you pay, you are paying instigators to be among our people out there, throwing rocks, breaking windows, and burning down buildings. And so young people are responding to that. Oh goodness, we learned violence from you. Yes. The violence was what we learned from you. Yes, right. So if you want us to do better, then damn it, you do better. Yeah.
2: Yes, yeah. uh, and, then, and then you ask me You know, whether I approve of violence, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, Whether I approve of guns. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Some very, very good friends of mine were killed by bombs, bombs that were planted by racists. Uh, I remember (coughs) from, from the time I was very small, I remember the sounds of bombs exploding across the street, our house shaking. I remember my father having to have guns at his disposal at all times because of the fact that at any moment uh, uh, someone w- we might expect to be attacked. The man who was at that time in con- complete control of the city government, his name was Bill Connor. Uh, would often get on the radio and make statements like uh, 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 niggas have moved into a white neighborhood, uh, we better expect some bloodshed tonight. And sure enough, there would be bloodshed. Uh, after the four young girls who were who lived, lived, one of them lived uh, next door to me. Um, I was very good friends with the sister of of another one. My my sister was very good friends with all three of them. My mother taught one of them in her class. My mother, in fact, when the bombing occurred, one of the mothers of, uh, one of the young girls called my mother and said, uh, can you take me down to the church to pick up uh, Carol? You know, we heard about the bombing, and I I don't have my car. And they went down, and what did they find? They found limbs and heads strewn all over the place. And then after that, uh, in my neighborhood, all of the men organized themselves into an armed patrol. They had to take their guns and patrol our community every night because they did not want that to happen again. I mean, that's why when someone asked me about violence, uh... Uh, I just, uh, I just find it incredible because what it means is that the person who's asking that question has absolutely no idea what black people have gone through, what black people have experienced in this country since the time the first black person was kidnapped from the shores of Africa.
3: Now some of you may know that um, the most likely people to go to prison in this country today are young African American men, right? A few years ago, there was a report that was done by the sentencing project indicating that about 25% of all uh, young men between the ages of, uh, what, 18 and 24 or so were incarcerated. 25%. That was, I think, in 1991. A few years later, the Sentencing Project did a similar report and discovered that within, two, within three or four years, the percentage had soared to 32, over 32%. And by now, that percentage has probably gone up. So we're talking about over one-third, over one-third of all young black men in this country in prison or directly under the surveillance and control of the criminal justice system. Now something is wrong with that, don't you think? I mean, one of the problems, of course, is that as we see the material expansion of the criminal justice system, the what I call the prison-industrial complex. There is also an ideological campaign to persuade people that criminals can be recognized by virtue of their race. That as a matter of fact, the figure of the criminal is indeed a young black man and so all of us learn how to be afraid of young black men am i right and this happens often regardless of what race or ethnicity we might be because the same thing happens in black communities that black people learn how to be afraid of young black men but don't scare
4: negroes today with no badge or no white skin or no white sheet or no white anything else The police the same way. They put their club upside your head and then turn around and accuse you of attacking them. Every case of police brutality against a Negro follows the same pattern. They attack you, bust you all upside your mouth, and then take you to court and charge you with assault. What kind of democracy is that? What kind of uh, freedom is that? What kind of social or political system is it when a black man has no voice in court, has no nothing on his side other than what the white man chooses to give him? My brothers and sisters, we have to put a stop to this. And it will never be stopped until we stop it ourselves. They attack the victim and then the criminal who attacked the victim accuses the victim of attacking him. Yes, sir. This is American justice. Yes, sir. This is American democracy. Yes, sir. Right. Is American democracy. Yes, sir. Right. And those of you who are familiar with it yes, know that in America, democracy is hypocrisy. Right. Right. Now, if I'm wrong, put me in jail. Right. But if you can't prove that a democracy is not hypocrisy, then don't put your hands on me. But Being friendly and being a friend, I think, are two different things. I think there are many whites who act friendly toward Negroes. A fox acts acts friendly toward the lamb, Mm -hmm. and usually the fox is the one who ends up with the lamb chop on his plate. Mm -hmm. The wolf doesn't act friendly, and therefore the (coughs) wolf has more difficulty in getting the lamb chop in his plate.
5: I'd like to point out, though, that I,
4: I, I say that because it is usually the, if you study the structure of the Negro community, mm-hmm. economically, politically, civically, psychologically, and otherwise, it's controlled by the white liberal, mm-hmm. who usually poses as the friend of the Negro, who actually differs from the white conservative in, in the same way that the fox differs from the wolf. Uh, their appetite is the same. Their motives are the same. It's only their mannerisms and and methods that differ. I would agree that uh,
5: no doubt there have been a large number of of whites who have posed as liberals and as friends of the negro and who have time and again betrayed the negro. Uh, On the other hand, I think one could point to a large number of whites uh, who have struggled for civil rights, for equality, and have got little or nothing out of it. uh, Other than Quite a few bruises give me an example. Well the the large number of, of white uh, students who have gone into the south For example working for SNCC and other organizations
4: not working for SNCC or other organizations, but working for uh, the white uh, Political machines who benefit by the voting uh, efforts of Negro Okay,
5: I'll be more specific. Uh, I would cite Herbert Hill for example as an <laughs> as as a kind of person who has uh, championed Negro job rights for example uh in New York City and elsewhere he has fought the political machine
4: first time i met herbert hill personally was when they were picketing to stop the working on the uh Harlem hospital in Harlem negroes for 10 years had to fight the city to get uh an annex built on the Harlem hospital because in Harlem we need a hospital more so than anything else our people are sick plus we do a lot of cutting and shooting of each other though we profess to be nonviolent and uh Herbert Hill brought his forces out and stopped the working on that site. Uh, This is the first time I ever saw it. Then uh, when work was brought to a halt on a hospital in Harlem, the same Negroes tried to uh, stop the work at the Downstate uh, Medical Center in Brooklyn, which is predominantly white. They they were out there for three months during the summer. Couldn't stop anything. And I never saw Herbert Hill out there one time. Now, whenever something, whenever it takes... uh, a stoppage of something that's going to affect the white man, you find the white liberal absent. But when it uh, involves something that primarily will affect the best interests of black people, and black people only, then that white liberal is present. Herbert Hill is the labor secretary for the NAACP. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, if he was interested in black people, he would prepare a black man with the type of knowledge and understanding of the labor troubles involving black people that would enable uh, a black man to sit in the same position as Secretary of Labor or Labor Secretary in the NAACP. I'm suspicious of whites who join Negroes and always have to be in the lead, who always have to be the head, who always have to be at the top in Negro organizations. Those whites who really have the interest of blacks at heart, let them give some advice to some Negroes and stand on the sideline. but don't join the organization and then get at the head of it and pose as a friend of Negroes. Well, I-
5: I would uh, defend his sincerity and his commitment. And more than that, I would say that just because a person is a Negro or a black American does not mean there's going to struggle for, for Negro rights or, or for jobs for Negroes or anything else. I think that today you could point to a large number of, of Negro leaders who have consistently betrayed Negroes in a
4: whole host of areas. They aren't really Negro leaders. These are puppets that have been put in front of the Negro community by white liberals. These are parrots that have been put in front of the Negro community by white liberals. You can't name me a Negro leader who has been a Negro leader who has been betra- who has betrayed Negroes who is not who has not been endorsed, sanctioned, uh, subsidized, and supported by the white liberals, Minister Malcolm. I'd like to well, I could cite one example. Would be Congressman
5: Dawson, for example, in Chicago, and in... In Chicago, a large number of Liberals located in the Hyde Park District have consistently fought Dawson and his betrayals of the Negro, and they've also fought some of the people who represent Dawson on the Chicago City Council.
4: The only Negro I know who is constantly fought, only Negro politician that I know who is constantly fought by white Liberals is Adam Clayton Powell. And they call him a racist because he speaks so bluntly on the race issue.
6: Outside the courtroom, I asked Malcolm X, giving his first television interview, whether the black Muslim prophet is preaching race hatred.
4: He's not teaching hate, he's teaching history. And since the American white man has used his control over the press and over the textbooks and over all forms of media uh, to make it appear that uh, uh, he has done us a favor by bringing us here and enslaving us, then the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has to rewrite history or retell history. And since the white man can't uh, dispute this truth, he tries to defend himself by saying that Mr. Muhammad is teaching hate. It's not hate to say that we were kidnapped and brought here, it's true. It's not hate to say that we were Jim Crow, discriminated and segregated, it's true. It's not hate to say that the Supreme Court, which is the highest court in this country, came up with a hypocritical uh, uh, de- desegregation decision nine years ago, which they haven't enforced yet. That's not hate, that's true. You're quoted as having said when an airliner crashed with a number of white people on board, that you were glad it happened. The white race in this country collectively are guilty of these crimes that our people are suffering from uh, collectively, and therefore they would suffer some uh, collective disaster, collective grief, grief. And when that plane crashed in France with 130 white people on it, and we learned that 120 of them were from the state of Georgia, the state that my own grandfathers was a slave in, why, to me, it couldn't have been anything but an act of God, a blessing from God, and I frankly and sincerely pray for similar blessings from Him, to repeat themselves as often as he can spare them. <laughs> but I take it then you support
6: the uh, the freedom-loving attempts of the uh, peaceful marchers in Alabama and these places?
4: You don't get freedom peacefully. Freedom is never uh, safeguarded peacefully. Anyone who is depriving you of freedom isn't deserving of, an, of a peaceful approach uh, by the ones who are being deprived of their freedom. And when black people in this country Uh, uh, come out from under the mental straitjacket that the Negro clergymen have placed them in and begin to see that the only way you can get freedom is to get it the same way the white man in this country got it from England, or uh, he says he got it from England. He was willing to pay the price for freedom. When, When you're willing to pay the price for freedom, then you'll get it. But the Negro in this country has never been willing to pay the price for his freedom all of the price that we, have been, that we have been paying in the past has been uh, freedom for the white man. We fought abroad so that the white man in America could be free today to sick police dogs on us, to beat our people in the heads with, with police clubs, and to turn water holes on, on little women and children and babies simply because they want to walk down the street like decent human beings. That's, now, the only way you can have peace is to eliminate those injustices, and the American white man is not going to eliminate them. He's going to talk that pretty talk but he'll still continue to practice those inhuman
6: deeds. The reason that black people are in the streets has to do with the lives they're forced to lead in this country. And they're forced to lead these lives by the indifference and the um, apathy and a certain kind of ignorance, a very willful ignorance on the part of their co-citizens. Everybody knows, no matter what they do not know, that they wouldn't like to be a black man in this country. They know that, and they shut their minds against the rest of it, all the implications of being a black father or a black woman or a black son, and all of the implications involved in a human being's endeavor to take care of his wife, to take care of his children, to raise his children to be men and women in the teeth of a structure which is built to deny that I can be a human being or that my child can be. The great question in the country has been all the years that I've been living here and I was born here 43 years ago is what does a Negro want? And this question masks a terrible knowledge. I want exactly what you want. And you know what you want. I want to be left alone. I don't want any of the things that people accuse Negroes of wanting. And I don't hate you. I simply want to be able to raise my children in peace, and arrive at my own maturity in my own way, in peace, I don't want to be defined by you. I think that you and I might learn a great deal from each other if you can overcome the curtain of my color. The curtain of my color is what you use to avoid facing the facts of our common history, the facts of American life. It is easy to call me a Negro or a nigger or a promising black man, but in fact, I'm a man like you. I want to live like you. This country is mine too. I paid as much for it as you. White means that you are European still and black means that I'm African. And we both know, we've both been here too long You can't go back to Ireland or Poland or England, and I can't go back to Africa. And we will live here together, or we'll die here together. And it's not I am telling you, time is telling you. You will listen or you will perish. I can't be a pessimist, because I'm alive. To be a pessimist means that you have agreed that human life is an academic matter. So I'm forced to be an optimist. I am forced to believe that we can survive, whatever we must survive. But... the Negro in this country... the future of the Negro in this country is precisely as bright or as dark as the future of the country. It is entirely up to the American people and our representatives, it is entirely up to the American people whether or not they're going to face and deal with and embrace this stranger whom they maligned so long. What white people have to do is try to find out in their own hearts why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place. Because I'm not a nigger, I'm a man. But if you think I'm a nigger, it means you need it. The question you've got to ask yourself, the white population of this country has got to ask itself, North and South, because it's one country, and for a Negro, there's no difference in the North and the South. There's just you no know, difference in the way they, in a way they castrate you. But, that's, but the fact of the castration is the American fact. If I'm not a nigger here, and the, you invented him, you, the white people, invented him, then you've got to find out why. What is it you wanted me to reconcile myself to? I was born here almost 60 years ago. I'm not gonna live another 60 years. You always told me it takes time. It has taken my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time, my niece's and my nephew's time. How much time do you want for your progress?
7: In America, uh, black people are uh, treated very much as uh, the Vietnamese people or any other colonized people because we're used, we're brutalized, the police, Our community occupies our uh, area, our community as a foreign troop occupies territory. And the police are there not to, uh, in our community, not to uh, promote our welfare or uh, for our security and our safety, but they're there to contain us, uh, to uh, brutalize us and murder us uh, because they have their orders uh, to do so. And um, just as the soldiers in Vietnam have their orders to uh, destroy the Vietnamese people. Uh, the the uh, police in our community couldn't possibly be there uh, to uh, protect our property because we own no property. Uh, they uh, couldn't possibly be there to see that uh, we receive the due process of law for the simple reason that uh, the police themselves deny us the due process of law. And so it's very apparent that the police only in our community, uh, not for our security, but the security of the uh, business owners in the community and also to see that uh, the status quo is kept intact.
8: We went to the Capitol, we were there to deliver a message based upon our understanding of what racism is and how it's inflicted upon us and our communities here in America, and deliver this message to the world that we must arm ourselves, that we are in imminent danger, that the concentration camps in Tule Lake, in Arizona, and Oklahoma, are now being rejuvenated Reset up for us, and we will defend ourselves. The Examiner made a report back here in the last Sunday's paper that we were anti-white, that we hold no bones, this is a quote, hold no, pick no bones about being anti-white. We, this is a bold-faced lie. We don't hate nobody because of their color. We hate oppression. We hate murder of black people in our communities. We hate the gross unemployment that exists in our communities. We hate black men being taken off into the military service to be fighting for our greatest decade American prominence, us freedom. In the Civil War, 186,000 black men fought in the military service and we were promised freedom and we didn't get it. In World War II, 350,000 black men fought and we were promised freedom and we didn't get it. In World War II, 850,000 black men fought and we were promised freedom and we didn't get it. In the Korean conflict, the so-called police action, a war, we fought there and we didn't get it. Now, here we go with the damn Vietnam War and we still ain't getting nothing but racist police brutality, etc. We all get oppression. Uh,
9: I don't have a, a lot to say because I can't get my words together right now. But I wanted everybody to know that this is what those officers took from. At the end of the day, they get to go home and be with their families. Shiana does not have a father. He will never see her grow up, graduate. He will never walk her down the aisle. If it's a problem she's having and she needs her dad, she does not have that anymore. I'm here for my baby. And I'm here for George, because I want justice for him. I want justice for him because he was good. No matter what anybody thinks, he was good, and this is the proof that he was a good man.